But I think what I'd like to do is I want to buy in markets where my cash flow is so big that then I have this, like, let's say, okay, I rent out a unit here in Benson in Omaha, and it's a one bedroom, one bath. And I, on Airbnb, I make about 2000 Let's Let's round down. Let's say I make 2000 Well, now I have a $2,000 accommodation budget. I can go travel anywhere in the world. For me, that's a little more attractive than having one Airbnb in Sedona and constantly feeling like I'm only going to go back to Sedona. Good morning, Ria Podcasters. Welcome to episode 39 with Sarah Weaver. Sarah Weaver. <laughs> in this week's episode of We Are Radio. <laughs> You've never used that voice before. I like that one. You're listening to Rio Radio, the nationally trusted name in real estate investing. We dig deep to discover investors' why in real estate. If you want to skip all the BS and get in investors' heads, you're in the right spot. Be one of the thousands to check out RioRadio.com. <laughs> wow. Which, which, which personality That's, was that, Owen? <laughs> I think the hot sauce activated uh, Ted. Oh, man. Right. Do you guys love that big burrito I brought in? Are, we, are we keeping this? Yeah. <laughs> the burrito was the size of a large baby that Ted brought into the studio this morning. It was longer than my arm. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sure the smell is going to be appreciated by our, uh, our guest coming oh, in. Yeah, they're going to love it. But... I told you guys, I told you guys, I told you guys, I told you guys, Sarah Weaver killed it today. That was an excellent choice, and uh, it was a good job squeezing her in. I mean, we had to do some reshuffling. Sorry about that, Rob Church. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so bad for Rob. We'll have to make it up to him today with some uh, bourbon or something. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, so with Sarah Weaver coming in... um, Guys, I mean, we talked we talked about everything, but with the most important thing that we found out was that you're her uncle. <laughs> <laughs> what what a small world! How bizarre is this? Yeah, so, we, and we wouldn't be able to announce that if we didn't talk about uh, if we didn't record these after the show. Not and not her actual uncle, but uh, okay, real real quick funny story here. So so we we record uh, the the episode last week, right? And so we're doing the intro today, but uh, Sarah. Sarah, after the fact, we're talking about like where she's from or why she invests where she does. And she mentioned she's from, you know, a small town in Iowa. You probably never heard of it, blah, blah. And I'm like, try me because I'm from a small town in Iowa. And she's like, oh, you know, you, I'm sure you've never heard of it. It's Avoca and, and Oakland, Iowa, kind of around there. And I'm like, huh, my wife's from Oakland. And she's like, no way. What's, you know, and then we were kind of like figuring out the family name. So here's, this is completely bizarre my wife's sister was married to sarah's dad's brother so that makes her kind of my niece once removed uh you know that was her ex courtney's ex-husband my my uh, sister-in-law so isn't that hilarious so i text sarah and i tell her this and she's like oh i she's she screenshotted how she saved my number in her phone, and it says Uncle Owen. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, thought that was uh, pretty funny. And are you, are you going to go to the BP Con? 
Yeah, I'm going to try to do – I'm going to try and get there uh, any way I can here. So in October, yep. what's the date? Do you know that off the top it's of your head? October 4th, I think it was. Okay, and, it's, and I think it's going to be an extra day this year if I remember right. So they're going to – usually it was like you fly in Sunday and then they have the event Monday, Tuesday. Everybody generally flies out. And uh, this year it's going to be in San Diego. BPCon is what we're talking about. And uh, just hot off the press. Well, wait, wait. We, we don't want to – we want to like – do we want to tell everybody right now, or how do we want to do that? Oh, I think we do. Okay, I think we want okay. to drop it. Drop it. Drop it. Like yeah, it's hot. So we just got permission. Uh, we just got permission from Sarah, and it's now public info that she is going to be a featured speaker in a couple of uh, breakouts at BPCon. How cool is that? Yeah. I so in she is going to be a published author. That is super cool. Yeah. So she's just got so much stuff going on. Uh, crazy interesting background. World traveler. Lived in or has been to 44, 40, countries. 44 countries, everyone. Has been. Uh, and I think she just turned 30 or something like that, right? If that. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's a uh, feature or she's a guest on the Bigger Pockets uh, episode. We'll find the episodes in the show she's notes. On, I think she's been on every single BP podcast. What? Yeah. Oh, like uh oh the you're saying like, like the rookie, rookie show the and the original. business and all that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they, huh. she's just doing a tour. She's kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah, so I listened to her podcast back in January. I know, I remember when you when you were uh raving about it. Yeah, it was amazing. And I and uh and then I called up um uh, everybody on my real estate team. I'm like, Hey, listen to this. She get she gets some great tips. Um she worked under Gary Keller in Texas at his KW office. Now she trains people on how to do investment real estate, and uh, she trains people how to work, uh, how to inve- how investors should work with real estate agents, also. So a little bit back and forth there. And she trains agents. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, she's got a lot going on: coaching, traveling the world, buying investment properties. And, super, super cool story. And, and she in in the episode, we're not going to get into it now, but uh, wait till the end. There is a contest she's going to get uh, give out. And in that contest, you can have the opportunity to win a free um, coaching. Uh, they're going to do like a fly-out coaching event. Okay. And she's giving away a free spot on that coaching event. And if you wait to the end, you can get the details on that. And uh, there's just a few things you're going to have to do. So she's giving one of those ways. It'll be super fun. And she just said, I'm about to announce my next retreat. Location, so that's that's what you're talking about, yeah. 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 So stay tuned on that. That's going to be really cool. And it's really small. It's like, I think wasn't it like 15 people or something. Then yeah, very focused, yeah. small, a lot of good content. It's yeah, it's going to be awesome. So yeah, and uh, one thing that I really I uh, like about their, her, she actually invests in Airbnbs, and she's here in the Midwest. So um, lots of good content there. So um, I think we given a lot of information there. Um, it's a very long episode. So, uh, but the, which we know you love, yeah, listeners. We, <laughs> we actually separated up an episode, and we had so many people call. I'm like, why did you separate it? I just want to listen the whole thing through. I'm like, we're doing some testing. Out. We can't Come please on. everyone, but we try. <laughs> Every once in a while, we got to just try something different. Yeah, that's right. Oh, and I know you love to sit down with new people. Um, have you sat down with any new interesting people in the last seven days? You know, I have been kind of tied up with other things, so I haven't really had many uh, sit-downs. What about you? Well, isn't that part of your why? Yeah, but I also stack them up, so <laughs> I'm, I'm a little ahead right I, now. I always like to ask. I always like to ask. Uh, you know, I sat down this week with um, Wyatt and Tyron. Uh, they have a meetup in, uh, in West Side of Town, and they wanted some advice on just kind of how to gear their group and, and, and how to grow it. 
Um, and I gave some advice. And I said, hey, find, find your niche because there could be um, – if you're listening to this and uh, you want to start a real estate group and maybe there's other real estate groups in your city and you don't know what it is, um, find your thing that it, somebody else isn't focusing on. So I know that they're going to focus strictly on having speakers with uh, multifamily, uh, multifamily owners. How about we make this today's golden, golden nugget. nugget? And this golden nugget is brought to you by JM Real Estate Capital. Hi, it's Rob, JM Real Estate Capital. We're the money guys that you need to know for all your real estate investments. Talk to us. We can do what your local bank can't or won't do. We don't have millions. We have trillions with a T to lend. 844-WE-CLOSE or go online at jmrecapital.com. That's jmrecapital.com. JM Real Estate Capital, smart solutions for the real estate investor. Okay, let's talk about this a little bit. How and why did you start the RIA in Omaha? Or why, why did you decide to buy it? Well, is the better question. Okay, so the funny thing is, is that when my conversation I had with my wife was I, I said, hey, the amount of money we're, it'll cost to purchase this, we can reinvest this amount of money into advertising every year for the next 20 years. And it won't do as much uh, for my name as this will in, in less than a year. Okay. And within three, four months, I even, I even had a, I was one of the local papers. I, I had an article with my, with my picture on it. And I told I show my wife, I go, see, <laughs> now all of a sudden you, now you're credible. Okay. So what, all right, let me ask you this. So obviously this is a bit of a labor of love for you. Like we've talked about you, you're, is it, is it something where if you're in a different city, what do you get out of uh, owning and running a RIA? I mean, obviously, it makes you feel good. You have cool guests in. You get recognition and, you know, kind of growing grown your reputation and all that. Yeah, it's reputation and credibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also puts you on a pedestal. So, you know, you want to be – if you're out there and being that person, you don't want to – hopefully you're not that shady person that's trying to yeah. get people or do gimmicks. Like, you know, I, I I put all my money back into the RIA. Uh, eventually, I'll make money off of it. But right now, it's it's, it's a, I'm investing really back in to grow it. But from you know, I think it's different for every person. But for me, it was credibility. Other people, it, it's wealth, and other people, it's going to be just getting the leads because you get all of that, you know, or you can get all of that. There's, I heard there's a re in Chicago where this guy's making millions of dollars. Yeah, there's there's some. I think there's one in Austin like that too. It's like upsell, upsell, upsell I think constantly. That's the same owner. Is it okay? Yeah. yeah. So there's. I I was just curious because like I know you're you're not like making it rain with the re, and I know that's not why you're doing it necessarily. But um, how much time does it take uh, for the for listeners out there that are kicking around, maybe starting one and or or you know buying one or getting involved in one in their local market? What is uh what time what type of time commitment if you want to do it right and do it how you're doing it? Well, um, I'm not doing it <clears throat> to the fullest, but you know I could. I, but I'm expanding statewide right now, mm-hmm. so I'm putting a lot more time into it than I normally am. But I would say I'm in, right now. I'm investing a solid day into this every every week. Okay, if hours wise, so about twenty percent of your working hours are devoted to yep all things Ria, and especially with the podcast being added. Yep, and uh, so, you're welcome. Yeah, and then <laughs> uh, and then I had this great idea that everybody needed something tangible in their hands, so we do these uh, we do these membership cards, which I hand stamp everyone with a credit card stamper, which is one at a time, and that just stamping those every week or every month. That's that's like three to four hours alone. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> yes. I think that's a good job for Carson. Yeah, uh, no, it, well, you got, it, it. Okay, so each card has a serial number on it, mm-hmm. and they match the membership ID. So if you mess that card up, then you got to change all the documentation. You got to change the spreadsheets, and then you got to change the membership inside the uh, inside the system. So if I, I'm really 
you know, cautious of having somebody else do it because you know, every card costs you about two dollars to print. I have faith in you, Carson. I think five bucks per card is a fair price to charge your dad. So uh, <laughs> hit him up. <laughs> I'm gonna pass on this one hard pass. <laughs> and thanks for the cups. Oh yeah, thanks for the cups, Carson. These are awesome. So he's got uh, so so he has Omaha Rhea embossed. Uh, what do you call these tumblers? Stainless steel tumblers. Yeah, yeah they're awesome. Look at that. And uh, yeah, so this is the, I've been talking about this on previous episodes, but my kids started little companies. Uh huh. So the shirts that you and I are wearing, uh, that's Skylar's Sparkling Shirt Company. I love it. And uh, so she, she sold 15 of these shirts at the last meetup. Dang, nice. And she got tips. I saw, I was at the uh, uh, gym yesterday and ran into Andrea and Axel Foley. Yeah. And uh, Axel was wearing one to work out in, so he was—he must have been one of the fifteen, unless he stole it. Yeah, he paid. And then, uh, and then Carson created Carson's Carson's custom cups. Love it, CCC. Yep. And uh, so with uh, with the cups, actually, he was doing CKC because mm-hmm. his initials are CK. Ah, and so that's what his thoughts were. But <laughs> but anyway, so uh, we had the cup, and then uh, so we did on both kids. We did spreadsheets. And okay. Inventories, and then show them what the cost will be. How cool is that? And so we're, I'm helping them track them. Yeah. And uh, they have their own little booth, and they make their own signs for their for the names of their businesses. So I posted something on our um, Ria Radio Instagram page. So huh. Well, that's awesome. Good job, kids. We love hearing about that. And nice parenting. Hey, parenting win. Yeah, that's what we would do, man. We, we, I mean, we talk about this in every episode, so we got to be an example of what we talk about, right? Yep. Well, that's a great golden nugget from Ted Kosh. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Well, without any further ado, I think it's time that we bring in the amazing Sarah Weaver because you guys are about to have your minds blown from today's podcast. I can't wait. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Okay. Hey, guys. So I'm so I'm super excited today because we brought in Sarah Weaver. I listened to Sarah Weaver on the OGBP podcast, and I was completely blown away. And it wasn't the fact that she is just like this guru with her Airbnbs is the fact that she put out there a a one, two, three, four list on how investors should work with real estate agents. I literally took that information, I took it to my real estate team, I put it out there, and I'm like, you, every one of you guys need to listen to this and then create a reverse sheet that you're gonna hand out to your agents. So that single moment that I listened to that, I was the stalker and I jumped on Instagram and I messaged Sarah Weaver on there. I'm like, Sarah, you got properties in Omaha? Are you going to be coming to town anytime soon? Because we definitely need to get you here. Um, I wanted to get her on to Rhea, but uh, even better, she showed up at the Invest Her event last night, which I did have the privilege of watching that and uh, got some great content. But... Uh, I think that you're going to be super excited with today's show. I'm I'm over the top excited to have her here. I think you guys are going to get tons of golden nuggets out of today's uh, episode. But without any further ado, let's bring in Sarah Weaver. Thanks, Ted. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to Omaha. Thank you. Yeah, I want to I want to figure out how you ended up here as one of your target markets. Uh, got some ties in the Midwest. I understand. I do. Yeah. I do. My family's from little towns in Iowa. Okay, we st- <laughs> so listeners, we Sarah and I started talking about like where are you from and you know all this beforehand, and it turns out we have some things in common. So tell us where you are specifically in uh, in Iowa, where you have family. Yeah, my mom grew up in Griswold, Iowa, and my dad grew up in Oakland, Iowa. 
So my wife is from Oakland, Iowa. My in-laws still live there, and uh, we probably know quite a few of the same people. Now, you still have family there, right? I do. My grandma and my uncle are still there, and I think that your brother-in-law was in my dad's class. (laughs) (laughs) So weird. I mean, he's got to be, what, in the 60s or 70s? Oh, shut Oh, My my parents are young. (laughs) I mean, it's the Midwest. Oh, it just made me feel good. So they're young, buddy. Yeah, my parents are young. They're what, like 47? Yeah. (laughs) I think they're 55. That's young. See? I have some runway here on the young thing. My my mom is 59. Yeah. Yeah, she's young. Yeah. I mean, almost. I mean, you're old. (laughs) She's young. (laughs) You guys wear it differently. Uh, No, that's cool. So you uh, how often you get back here? How did you actually let's back up? How did you um, get started? Like you grew up in this area then or was it Kansas? Yeah, I grew up in Kansas City. So I was born in California. My parents uh, fled the Midwest for California and then came back with me. What part of California? That's what, wait, wait, that's what happens. You, when you live in the Midwest, you, you're like, hey, I'm going to hit the coast. Then you have a lot of fun. Something happens, and then there's a belly growing. And guess what? You don't want to have that baby on the coast. You want to take it back home where mom and dad is to help you get, take care of the kid, right? Uh, does the belly growing thing apply to uh, aging uh, men also? <laughs> Beer belly? Or is that – are you meaning Well, that happens else? once the babies are in there. Oh, okay. Yes, okay. yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks for clarifying. So they, they went to California and then – they yep. stuck? No. So then they came back. They were out there for eight years okay. and then came back when I was about four and ended up in Kansas City. I think they kind of shopped around the Midwest, looked at Denver, Omaha, Des Moines, Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And my dad started working for a construction company in Kansas City. And so that is where I grew up. Huh. How did they pick Kansas City? That just seems odd. I, I'm sure it was had a lot to do with the job. And so okay. the, the construction company he was working for, they built... Um, not affordable homes Mm -hmm. Um, and it was doing really well Um, and at the time that was early 90s and so I mean real estate in California was really struggling and so it was nice to come back to the Midwest and then like Ted said I think it was nice to be near family and get some help Sure. Yeah. Okay. So did you end up uh, like going to high school there growing up and the whole thing? Oh, yeah. And went, then, uh, went to high school there. And then I wanted to get away. So like I was the kid. I didn't have posters of bands or cute boys. I had posters of like travel Australia, travel Indonesia. Huh. And I don't know why my parents blame sending me to church camp. They said I went to church camp. <laughs> For a week. Came back with all these crazy ideas. Yeah, like traveling the world. I went to church camp once as a chaperone. I came back and I was like, and I went there and I was like, I had this thing. I'm like, I got to put a ring on my wife's finger. And I'm like, so I went and did it. And I was, shit, man, if I never went to that church camp, I probably never put that ring on that finger. Sorry, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid church Just camp. Just joking, babe. I, I, went to a, I went to a horse ranch camp, uh, church camp, uh, when I was a kid for, I think I went twice, if I remember right. And uh, yeah, I begged my parents for a horse, but that didn't, they shut that right down. So <laughs> I think uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't see any horses in my future. But OK, so you what, so you grew up and you had travel aspirations. And now, did you go on a lot of vacations when you were a kid? Did your family have like, OK, we're doing the family vacay and like the Griswolds? And yeah, so we we did the road trips <laughs> like the Griswolds. Like the Griswolds. Thank God. No. <laughs> Who says that? <laughs> and uh, I we didn't have a station wagon, but we did the road trips. And I think I haven't done a road trip in a really long time for that exact reason reason and so no i always wanted i was really attracted i wanted to go to south america i wanted to go to europe and so when it came time to pick college i thought that i was going to go to some liberal arts school really far away like california and then i saw the price tag and i thought oh wait we're poor (laughs) and so that doesn't really lend well to paying for 
liberal arts school in California. You're like, Kansas City Community College, here I come. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I ended up going to KU. Um, and honestly, I hated it the first year. Oh, really? I was like, oh, get me out. Like, all these people are from where I'm from. I want something totally different. And so I was able to study abroad that summer after freshman year. Which is really rare. I mean, most yeah. people wait till junior year. Yeah. But I studied um, in Italy, studied Italian in Florence. And I was, it's crazy now when I meet 19 year olds, I'm like, oh my God, I would never like let you travel by yourself. Right. But, but, but I tell my parents that and they go, let you? Sarah, you didn't ask for permission. <laughs> you, you're, and that's what I, I, one of my favorite things is ask for forgiveness, not permission. Yeah. And I, I took that, I think, a little too far. Um, but I bought a one way to Italy and then I ended up dropping out of KU. And I didn't go back that fall semester. I backpacked Europe, New Zealand, and Australia by myself at 19. <laughs> when you were at, what year were you at down at KU? I was there 2008 to 2012. Okay. Uh, so back in those days, we had a nightlife site down there called Nightlife KU. Do you ever remember that being on there? I wonder if I'm in the background of any of those photos. <laughs> <laughs> like we had the little tags and everything like that, and you had to oh, take pictures. Yeah. That, that, so that was our company. That was a good time down there. Yeah, there's probably there's lots, lots there's of some blackmail probably in those photos. <laughs> we have to go through the archives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, link to those in the show notes. Okay, okay. Sarah's back there doing a shot ski. <laughs> so we interviewed a guy named Stephen Sykes a couple a uh, couple weeks ago, and Stephen Sykes was talking about his kind of adventure just like this. And at one point he. Even and said that he ended up in Af- what Afghanistan, and sure, and he he there's like 22 different yeah, and then he ended places. up sleeping in a cave for a few nights while he was there. Met the Dalai Lama. They met the Dalai Lama while he was there. Right? Yeah. Just so what? What do you got on that, Sarah? What, what's <laughs> wow. your story? Oh, that's a good one. Um, all right, I went running with the bulls in Pamplona. Oh no way! Ooh, yeah. Nice. Did yeah. you almost get trampled? Like you have to tell us a little bit about this. Yes. Okay. So for those that don't know, running with the bulls is um, in San Fermín in Pamplona, um, Spain, and it's a tradition. They do it every year. Um, women are actually not allowed to do it. What? But us foreigners, we don't really we ignore the traditional rules. Sorry, lo siento, España. And I ran with the bulls and. <laughs> And they they actually they line the streets. Um, they block off, put some blockades so that there is a path to the stadium where there is then a bullfighting um, like event. But what they first do is they they sound the alarm, and that lets us know that they're getting ready. And then I think about five minutes later, they sound the second alarm, and that lets them know that they've opened the gates. And they actually let bulls. Let they just let them loose, and so they run through the city. And we essentially, you think when you first hear about this, you think that you're running from them, but bulls run at like ten to twelve miles per hour. I don't know about you guys, but I can't run twelve miles per hour more than like maybe four seconds, <laughs> and so not long enough. So you're actually not running from the bulls, which is why they call it running with the bulls, because you literally at some point you have to step aside and let a bull run past you. And so for those of you not from the Midwest, a bull is a male cow, <laughs> and it's the size of a Mini Cooper. And so imagine a Mini Cooper driving past you at 12 miles per hour, but there's not a driver inside. It's a bull that wants to murder you. (laughs) And so I had done it. This was in 2009, I believe. And I think there had been like four or five years of no deaths. Um, And unfortunately, not only the year that I did it, but the day that I did it. Oh, yeah, because it's it's multiple days. And the day that I did it, unfortunately, someone was gored. No way. And I did see it. No way. You saw it? I did. Oh. 
and it was I mean, for anyone that's seen like a tragic event, you don't you you don't your brain can't register what you're looking at fast enough. And so it took it probably took I mean, frankly, it probably took months for me to like process it, process what I had seen. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And on on another note, on another note, um, I did it the next day. (laughs) Jeez. Because the goal is for some of us, the goal is to get into the arena. Because if you're not fast enough to get into the arena, like you don't, if you don't get into the arena, it's basically sold out. The audiences, but they do allow people that ran with the bulls to be down in the dirt with them. And so I did actually run it not once but twice. No way. Yeah. Did he make so it? You, the like, arena? you like proved your worth, right? So you're like, okay, those who can prove worthy, yeah. get admitted into the arena. Yeah, wow. and some other like behind the scenes is you like once you're in the barricades, like the police are lining it. Like once you're in the path, I would say. The police are lining it so you can't get out. Well, I had to go to the bathroom. (laughs) And so I'm like, what do I do? And thankfully, I wasn't the only one. And so sure enough, like, you know, a group of backpackers created like a half circle and we had to. Did, you know, nature calls, right? I mean, it's about a two hour waiting. Like you're waiting for about two hours beforehand. Like you have to get in that early. So. Dang. Man, our lives are boring. I know, right? (laughs) Like. I don't. I have no idea what I was doing when I was nineteen. We were nineteen at the time. 19. You're crazy. Yeah, I, people that know me from high school, like especially adults, they're like, "Oh, Sarah, you've been thirty since you were like 12. So, <laughs> so what did? Okay, I got to ask you this as a, a, a as a parent. What did your parents? So you they were like, "All right, go do your thing, have fun in Europe," and they were probably secretly like worried to death. Oh, I did I, you get? I, were you easy on them when you gave a reporting? You were like, "Hey, guess what? I ran with the bulls today, and somebody got gored to death." Bye. I'll see you tomorrow. Or oh. could talk to you tomorrow on whatever <laughs> like Skype. Go. <laughs> like, thankfully, what, what? I know. I, I, I'm mom and dad. I'm so sorry. Um, I, thankfully, I was smart enough that I told every them everything about a five days later. This was in 2009, so I think I probably had Instagram, but it, I didn't have Instagram Story. I didn't have Snapchat. So my parents were getting the stories like far after they'd actually happened. I still don't have Snapchat, sadly. <laughs> I think that might be a good thing for all probably. Of us. Yeah, I got Snapchat. What? I, Snapchat. I just I'll snap you while we're sitting. Please here. don't. I don't even know what that means, but <laughs> but I'll still post for it. I just posed for a selfie. Um, okay, so Spain. All right, we got. All right, back to business here. So Spain. What next? Like, where are all of you? Where did you? Tell us about this story. I mean, yeah. you're backpacking. Yep, I was backpacking. So I studied abroad just the summer in Italy and was studying Italian. I was dreaming in Italian. I got really good at Italian. What city were you in? I was in Florence. Oh, nice. Yeah. I've always wanted to go there. And so the fun thing that I learned is that I have like these two personalities that I'm trying to juggle even now into adulthood where I'm like this crazy back- spontaneous backpacker, but then I'm also like wildly ambitious and driven. And so I didn't just like take Italian. I like was studying note cards for like hours on end in my free time. And so I'm like constantly ba- balancing both of these personalities. What's that meme that's uh, been floating around? It's like, uh, I hear you like a girl, uh, like a girl with a great personality. Well, you're in luck because I have several. Is that, what you, is, that <laughs> is that kind of the thing I, here? I hope not. I hope I hope all my ex-boyfriends write in. They're like, she's not that crazy. <laughs> how, many, how many languages do you know? Um, I'm not fluent in any of them, yeah. but I would say my Italian and Spanish are quite good. Okay. I can read Korean. Ooh. That's my fun Oh, fact. no way. That's not easy. No, I don't know what I'm reading. I'm reading, you know, Jingcha 
And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I can read it. Easy for you to say. <laughs> um, how did you learn Korean? I did live in Korea. So I taught English in South Korea when I was 23. See, this is kind of like... Uh, Cat Theo. Cat, Cat Theo, yeah. Yeah, like where she taught English in different areas. Yep. Sarah Weaver is doing that, but in 44 countries. All right, talk to us about the logistics here. How did you how did you find places to live and how did, like you don't speak the the language? Were you lucky enough to run into people that were like, "I got you. I'm, I speak English fine." Yeah, a lot of especially these smaller countries like in Central Europe, a lot of people do speak English because they're conducting their business in English. Like if you live in Slovenia, you're and you want to do business outside of Slovenia, you're going to learn English. And so a lot of countries they speak English, and then a lot of countries I'll leave being like, "Oh yeah, they spoke English." And my friend that was traveling with me was like, no, they didn't. You're just really good at charades. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. It's the universal language. What? Charades? Oh, that? Yeah. Yeah. Sign so you, you knew yeah. exactly what I was saying I right? when yeah. I flipped that, that bird. That doesn't get you very far in any, in any countries. <laughs> Probably not. My daughter always wants me to do this when I'm when I'm leaving the, the window. They have a waving window. I go like this. You know what that means? It means I love you, Owen. Oh, I yeah. thought, what does this mean? I thought that meant I love you. Yeah, that too. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, we went to different uh, ASL schools. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Sarah. So uh, backpacking across Europe, saw some cool stuff. Where was the where was the absolute favorite spot that you hit while you were overseas? Yeah, from that trip, I definitely Spain. I mean, my heart is there. Not necessarily in Pamplona. That was a little traumatic, as I told you. But then you have places like the the north of Spain called San Sebastian. And this beautiful coast, the food is unbelievable. And then on the south of Spain, I think you guys would really like this. If you order a glass of wine or whatever, it comes with free appetizers called tapas. Mm, and so, tapas. so yeah. you have a you have a couple drinks, and you're like, oh, I thought we were going to dinner, but I'm full. And so then you just keep drinking, and there's <laughs> live music, and it's fantastic. It's a good way to live. There's a restaurant in town. I actually took my wife on her first date, and it was called Espana. Yeah, and that was it, in Benson. Yeah, yeah. Benson. And then uh, it was just the most amazing food. Like, I, we literally did our wedding pictures there uh, because uh, – our engagement pictures there because it was like – it was our spot. And then the food and the tapas and they poured the wine from the from the jug where you got like go way out here. And then, oh, my gosh, the memories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I miss the food. I'm so sad it's closed. <laughs> how, how long were you overseas? For that trip, I was gone eight months. Okay. Wow, you did a lot of stuff. How many how many countries did you hit? Gosh, that first time probably I mean, Europe is easy, you know, you're hitting all these different countries. You can go to Austria for the weekend. Um so I probably went to 12 that first round. Wow. And now I've been to 44 countries on six continents. What? Yeah. Wow. Antarctica, I assume, is the one you haven't hit? Yep. Haven't been to it. I met these old ladies. Um, and then we're, I'm not being offensive to anyone old. They, these, women were in, these women were in their <laughs> 80s. And they said, oh, they, I met them in Argentina. And they were going down to Ushuaia to, to hop on the cruise to go to Antarctica. And they said, yeah, we were waiting for um, Dorothy's husband to die. <sighs> and I, I'm, you know, we're drinking. dark. We're, I know. We're drinking Argentinian wine. And we're like, Sorry, Dorothy. They're like, oh, no, no, it's fine. We go on a trip every year. Normally, we don't go this far because uh, her husband's been sick. So when he died, we decided to do what we call the widow trip. I was like, that's a great idea. Yeah. So sorry, future husband. I'm already planning what I'm going to do after <laughs> you die. I'm going to Antarctica. My uh, sister-in-law, actually, she's a world traveler like you at heart. And uh, she was booking a cruise that was going to stop in Antarctica. And then they had to like bypass that because of COVID or whatever. But that was just real recent. 
Um, so I don't know that I, that's not on top of my list. I'd go to Iceland for sure. You ever been there? No, but I think I'm going in November. Oh, of course you are. Um, <laughs> all right. So eight months of whirlwind traveling, visiting all kinds of exotic places. What brought you back to the States? Did you, were you already like, Hey, sorry, KU I'm out while you were overseas or did you come back and drop, you know, drop it on him that you're like, I'm, I'm bailing. Yeah, no, I, I think I had, it, it was a little premeditated when I went to Italy. I knew that I wasn't going to go back that fall semester. Um, but in my travels, I realized, man, I really think I need that college degree or at least the experience of university. And so I did end up going back to KU, what would have been the second semester sophomore year. I moved into a sorority house the day before my 20th birthday. And I don't think I've ever felt so lonely in my entire life <laughs> because all of these girls had spent all semester getting to know each other. And I'm like the new weirdo that like, I don't know, I think she was in like Europe or Asia or something. And then I realized I was turning 20, not 21. So I'd been like, you know, freely drinking, having a great oh, time. Oh, right. And I'm like, oh, yay. Happy birthday to me. Have some seltzer water. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, man. Yeah, I forgot about that. You would have a big culture shock coming it, back. It was. It was, like, it was reverse culture shock. And I I didn't. I was so bored. I was so bored. Your liver's like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> when you finally got back stateside. All right. So talk to us what happened after uh, after college. So you didn't graduate. You dropped out, right? Yep. So, the, but I did. I went back, mm -hmm. and so I did graduate. I graduated on time with two degrees: liberal arts and journalism and international studies. I wanted to be an international journalist. So, what nice. do you do? What do you do with this journalism? I my first job after college was actually with a little magazine called Sports Illustrated. Oh. Shut up, yeah. little little. Wow, what did you do there? Um, I mean, I was got coffee. I for... was exactly <laughs> sorry. No, no, truly. Um, I worked for one of the photographers and did a number of things that first weekend i've uh shot the bcs championship down in miami so that was really cool the second week on the job i went to london to do a project not related with sports illustrated and i hated it what why there you got the travel that part exactly i thought that i had made it but i realized that like from the second you leave your house to go to the airport I'm the one schlepping all of the equipment and all of the pressure. There was zero free time. It wasn't fun at all. They were mean. And so <laughs> I was like, I just don't think I need to do this. And so I said, you know what? I think I should quit working at Sports Illustrated and teach English in South Korea. Of course. I mean, that's what like most people do. Yeah. So you didn't do the teaching on that first trip. You you went back and then this is a whole nother uh, segment of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I did forget. I also, before Sports Illustrated, I did have a small internship at a travel company um, called Stoke Travel. Um, their logo or slogan, their logo is a tent with feet poking out. And it says, we do it in tents. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I was like moving to Europe, going to get like residency, you know, like have a work visa, working for a legitimate company. Because like I said earlier, like I am this backpacker, but I also like graduated college with honors, like thought I was going to get this legitimate job in Europe. And when I got there, I realized this was not legit at all. It was just a party hostel that hired me. <laughs> Party hostel. So I lasted like three months, maybe not even. And then that's when I went to go work. But Sports the question is, did you have fun while you were working there? That was so fun. <laughs> you did. Oh my gosh, that was fun. 
I got um, promoted like day three because they realized like, oh, she has a good head on her shoulders, meaning she's not drinking at 8 a.m. <laughs> so it was like a it was like a we work type of mentality there. It was yeah, yeah it was we- inc- weirdos drinking at 8 a.m. Speaking of, cheers guys. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> um so you uh told SI to kiss off. What happened next? So then I did. I taught English in South Korea. And one thing that people don't realize is that the money's really good. And so while it's not a ton, like your your net isn't a lot, I think it was two thousand, maybe a little over that, but it's all take home because you're you got flown over there, your health insurance is paid for, your accommodation is paid for, like eating Korean food isn't that expensive. I could eat for like a couple dollars a day. Um, if I wanted American food, you were dropping like American dollars to eat that meal. But if you just want to eat like the locals, it wasn't that expensive. And then I also taught private lessons on the weekends, which I think, gosh, I don't remember, maybe $40 an hour, which I mean, at 22, I was like, I'm rich. <laughs> it's like Brad Clark starting the gym in Kuwait. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Same, same situation. <laughs> what? Um, I, I just... I, I feel so lame. Like I look back, I talk every week we meet people that are just super interesting. have done all these things in their life and traveled and lived overseas and whatever. And I'm just like, God, I'm, you know, I'm like 45 minutes from where I grew up. Yeah. You know but I mean? Owen, everything comes at a cost. Okay, yeah. So like I did these things, but then while my friends were, I don't necessarily call it climbing the corporate ladder, but they were establishing themselves. And so some of them were making six figures mm-hmm. by 23 I just told you guys I was making twenty four thousand dollars, but my savings rate was eighty percent of twenty four thousand dollars. Whereas, what was their savings rate of a hundred thousand? I don't know, maybe ten, twenty percent. But I spent my entire twenties feeling like everyone had stuff that I didn't have. It's not until now that I reflect back and I'm like, oh. That my twenties were really cool, but it, but while I was living it, I was like, oh, they have like the beautiful apartment, a meaningful relationship, you know, friends that play game night on, you know, they go to trivia on Thursdays. So grass is always greener yeah. on the other side. Yeah, thanks Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, like it's literally like that though. You hear about all the glossed over stuff and and what people are doing. And you're like, oh, I'm not doing that. That sounds fun. But you know, Owen, he goes and travels like all the PGA golf uh, places around the country, and then and so that's like your thing. I mean, uh-huh. you you go to what ten golf trips a year? Not even no, <laughs> like. Five, I go f- five. I go on five a year, and then so here. This is kind of cool though. My like, I love travel. So we all so. have our we all have our thing. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean, so. yeah. And my my wife, um, this year her goal was to travel every month. Like she wants to go to a different place. Doesn't matter if it's far away, you know, uh, driving distance or whatever. But like she's in uh, Scottsdale right now visiting a friend, and that's awesome. Like I just I went to. St. George, Utah, Mesquite, Nevada. I've been to Scottsdale this year. Is that, um, is that the same friend she keeps on going to visit? <laughs> Will you stop? <laughs> no, it's a different one. He's I don't, seriously. I just like poking the bear. So what? So what's your favorite course in, that you've played? Uh, that's a good question. I, so I have kind of a top five that is it varies. Are you a golfer? My dad is, and so I like to go and either drive the cart yeah. or sit at the country club and drink. We we played uh, Wolf Creek, which is in Mesquite, Nevada, and it, it was it's in my top five. Yeah, um, that's my, I think that's my dad's top two. Yeah, it, it is incredible. I like bought a bunch of swag and whatever from there, but yeah, that was awesome. I played Chambers Bay in uh, Seattle, which they had the U.S. Open in 2015, I think. 
that was amazing. And uh, yeah, I've just I played Dismal River a couple of years ago. That's in uh, Western Nebraska. Um, awesome course. I've played. Yeah, I play. I played a lot. Have you I've, played Pebble Beach? That's probably my fiftieth birthday. That's my uh, that's my bucket list. That's really yeah. cool. There's a photo of baby Sarah like crawling on the greens because that's where my parents lived. So that's oh yeah oh they lived they didn't right live there on the golf yeah, course yeah. but yeah they lived in Carmel. Dang yeah nice. So um, what maybe talk to us like uh, transition into uh, you you are now pursuing your dream. You figured out uh, Sports Illustrated wasn't your jam. You went to um, South Korea, did some teaching there, uh, English. Did did you come stateside after after that, or did you stay yep. over for a while? Yep. No, okay. I, I follow, followed a man, uh, a boy, to Texas. And you know how she changed that from man to boy? <laughs> <laughs> There's something there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, followed him to Texas, and that is when I became a real estate agent. Because I thought, oh, I don't know anyone. Uh, I want to be my own boss. I should become a real estate agent. Now, what group were you with? I was at Keller Williams. Were you at the home office? Or? I was. Were and, you? Yeah. So I would see Gary Keller and Joe Williams like walking the halls. And in my 25-year-old brain, I thought, yeah, you join Keller Williams. You like see Gary Keller. Yeah, it's normal. Yeah. And so now I realize like what a privilege. And then something amazing happened last week. Um, so fast forward seven years later and they had me – teach at their brokerage, teaching their real estate agents how to invest in real estate. What? Yeah. Wow. That That's was, pretty cool. That was really, it was really, really special. Okay. So awesome. you move, you move now, uh, is this, what city was this in, in Texas? In Austin. Uh, okay. So Austin, keep Austin weird. Is that, that's a, that's it. What was that? What's that place like? I've never been there. Um, I mean, it's changed, weird. It's changed so much. I mean, talk about growth. I think there's 160 people move there every day. And so the Austin that I experienced in 2015 is so different than yeah. 2022. Um, but it's fantastic. You have so much business going there. You have so many amazing people from all over the U.S. and the world. Um, no income tax. Um, but if yeah. you try to buy real estate there, Good property luck. taxes are crazy. Um, but it just has it has a great energy. I really like Austin, Texas. What was uh, so you decided to get uh, your license? Talk to us about that. What was that like? Um, did you get it? And you, were you focused on residential, commercial, both? What was your jam? Yeah. So, I mean, it's amazing to see how like these events turn into where you are now because my very first listing was an investment property. It was, I think, $22,000. And <laughs> I knew, I, I didn't know what I know now, but I at least knew then. I'm like, no regular buyer is going to buy this. And so what did I do? I looked on meetup.com for the local real estate investor meetup. I showed up. I stood up. I'm 25. I don't know what I'm doing. And I say, hi, I have this house. And I think it was in Temple or Colleen, Texas, and explained it. And I sold it that day all cash. And I thought, holy cow, this is so much cooler than driving Susie around, who's so annoying. Oh, like gosh. she walks into a house and she doesn't like the paint color. I'm like, you do know we can paint it. And so immediately I thought, I want to work with investors. What did you sell that property for? I mean, I think it was like, yeah, 21500 It was the smallest commission check I've ever gotten. <laughs> yeah. How did you know to get on meetup.com? Oh, Somebody else tell you in the office or? I just, I mean, I, th I think I knew I was going to sell it to an investor. Yeah. And so I asked myself, where do investors hang out? Mm -hmm. Which is wild because now fast forward, that's what I teach agents to do. I'm like, it's really simple. 
think where do investors hang out and then go there. What? Uh, so how? Sorry, Ted. Go ahead. No, was, we, we do our RIA meetup on Meetup here, but I feel like we're the only people in Omaha to actually use Meetup. There, Meetup is not popular here in the Midwest. Right? I mean, do you have anything to get like shout outs to get to Meetup? Because I personally here it's not used by in the coastal. It, it is right. Yeah, I think it's going to depend on your market, and then also there's Eventbrite. I think is now their competitor, and I think more things are on there. But nowadays, I think a lot of people just go to Facebook, Facebook and type in, you know, real estate investing Omaha. And I and I and we we have a huge presence. I mean, between our two groups, we have what six thousand people uh, between the two groups collaborative on 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 Facebook. But Meetup, I think I have I think I have about a thousand people or eleven hundred people following our group now. But there there really isn't anything on the local one. And um, when I bought our local RIA, Meetup was just included with the package. Yeah, I was like, I guess I'll, I never heard of it. I'll just keep on at it. But uh, we do get occasionally get some people come in and from that, and it, and, it, and generally it's um, Air Force people. Interesting, because the base is the second biggest employer here in in the area. So a lot of people come in and are like, "Oh, meetups where we find everything." So mm-hmm. I was like, "Well, I better keep this going then." Yeah. yeah. The, the only thing I don't like about Meetup is you don't get their as the organizer you don't get their email. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah. And so it's not the best lead generator. So if it's not working, it's not working. Hmm. Huh. How long did you stay in Austin? I was there for eleven months. Wow, a long time. Super, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we won't talk about my commitment issues here on the podcast, but they're they're present and they're strong. Uh, that that's a good point. So traveling the world, that's world, not, that's and, not even uh, a twelve month lease. No, no. <laughs> oh, that, the funny thing as a landlord, I have broken every single lease I've ever signed. No way. Yes. Your your local people that are rent from me here in town are hearing this right now, and they're gonna be like, "I'm like, <laughs> got you." <laughs> I I allow if my tenants buy a house, they can break their lease. Now, oh, I, that, yeah, I do that too. I I told my tenant that I had not the last house. I'm like, hey, if you guys buy through me, I'll let you guys get a lease early. Uh, so I I think I'm gonna this week. Um, I think that I have some tenants I'm gonna let out early since the DEA. Uh, the SWAT team and about 12 uh, uniformed officers showed up at a duplex that we just dumped about forty fifty thousand dollars $50,000 into their unit uh, and got it released about literally two weeks ago and uh, got a text yesterday or no day before yesterday that uh, I, I made a post about this. This is this is a true story. It said, call, I'm like in a meeting or something, and my uh, contractor, great dude, he's been rehabbing the units, and he's on like, there's there's two duplexes on the same lot. We call it Bunker Hill because it's kind of up on a hill, and they're like concrete, pretty much the entire structure. But they're actually really cool. I mean, we put LVP and gray and white paint and, you know, new cabinets and the whole works. Got it released, and uh, he's sending me uh, these frantic text messages. He's like, call me ASAP, uh, like s- stuff going on. I'm like, and I, I don't know any of this, right? And I'm, I'm in a meeting and whatever. And I pick up my phone and he goes, the DEA and uh, SWAT team and a whole bunch of cops are going out, are, are here right now, call me. And I'm like, I can't, you know, I don't see this at all until later. And then he goes, um, what did he say? He goes, 
They're hauling bags upon bags of weed out of here. <laughs> They've like, only been there two weeks. Yes, yes. And, but at and least you know they weren't growing it by now. Right. Well, my contractor's like, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know who got moved in here, but there's like puke laying on the, <laughs> laying like outside the door. And I think they party pretty hard. And I'm like, oh my God, seriously. It, and yeah, and anyway, and so they're, they're hauling all this, all this, uh, you know, all these, this marijuana out of there. And uh, hauled them off, and I mean, they're and they took like a flat, and this is funny too, because they took like a flat screen TV out that they had, and then all this, you know, weed, and I, and people were making. I made a post about this, and they were joking, like, was the TV a material witness? Like, why would they take the TV? I don't understand. I'm like, I don't either, but they were hauling like literal bags of marijuana. And I'm not talking like a sandwich bag. I'm talking like trash, bags. like a hefty bag. Yeah, bags. Did you get plural? Did, did you get any uh, samples or proof of this situation? Uh, no, it's uh, to be determined on the quality of it. Uh, it's in the quote-unquote lab right now. Denlis is checking it out for us. Um, but anyway, I don't know why I brought the story up, but uh, yeah, the it's fun story, of it's, landlord. Yeah, it's stories like this that I'm like, yeah, everyone, invest in real estate. It's so fun. Well, Sarah, so one question I do have for you is, um, do you have any crazy, weird investment stories of your own to tell? Yeah, it's not necessarily crazy. I can't top the bags of weed leaving your <laughs> unit. Oh, he's, he's got better than that. That's just this week's story. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I don't have crazy enough stories for that. But I'll tell a story that I think is really interesting. So I attended a local meetup in Kansas City. And is this I, an investor meetup? An investor meetup. Yep. So it was an investor meetup in Kansas City. It was in this corporate board office. And um, I was I was really new to investing. Like I I only owned one property. But one thing that I did for our listeners is I I always identified myself as an investor. Like even though I only owned one unit, I knew that I I was like I know that I'm gonna explode. And that's your identity. Yeah, it was my identity, yeah. and that changed your behavior. So this guy is like, oh, we do so many deals. Like da da da. Like we do. And I said, oh, how are you finding off market deals? And he goes, well, I couldn't tell you that. And I lean over to the guy sitting next to me and I go, give me an hour. I will find out. <laughs> and, and so the the event kind of, you know, ends and like mingling begins. And so I like beeline to the guy. Started feeding him shots. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And and come to find out he is door knocking. What? Who does door knocking? I said, wow. <laughs> and at the time, which I told them at the time I was living in Mexico City. So, like, what did this guy think I was going to, like, move to Kansas City and, like, become his competition? Right. And so I like this story for a couple of reasons. One, it just really highlights how helpful everyone else is. Like, I love the real estate investing community because we're an all an open book. Like, I truly believe in abundance mindset. Like, there's enough deals out there for all of us. And so it was amazing to me to have this guy be like, I couldn't tell you that. And then it comes to find out his secret, his top secret is door knocking. Let's put our three secrets on the table. Owen, do you want to tell your secret first? <laughs> uh, like in life? Or no, no. Like what's, your, what, what's, your, okay, what's, your, what's your finding, wow. what's your finding property secret? <laughs> okay, that was going to take a weird tell, turn. Tell us, what, what is your secret to find properties? Uh, so the first one would be uh, pay-per-click. And that's really close to my face. <laughs> Pay-per-click would be probably our top lead gen. So we, um, in the Omaha market, you know, we've got a roughly a million uh, in the surrounding area population, and uh, you can pay your way to the top with pay-per-click. And that's been a, a an effective lead source for us for years, uh, although it's gotten more expensive. 
Um, it has gotten a lot more competitive in that space, but uh, that would be that would be our top one. And then uh, I would say direct mail and then referrals from our network and realtors that we uh, that we know and trust. So a follow up question for you is how does someone listening to this get into pay per click? Like, is there a company that they can go to? Like, how does an average Joe investor or average Sarah investor use pay-per-click to find deals. Yeah, I would say, uh, it, here's what I would do if I was just starting out. I would uh, I would Google in whatever market you're in. Uh, actually, no, I wouldn't do that. I would start in markets that you're not in. So let's say you're in Omaha and you want to find a pay-per-click company that can help you get set up and organized and, and run your campaign. I would look up Kansas City. I would look up Chicago. I would look up Minneapolis or somewhere around the Midwest. It doesn't have to be here. It could be anywhere. But I would figure out Google, we buy houses and then plug that city name in and whoever shows up near the top or at the top of that uh, ad list. So if you Google that, look and look who's ranking there, click on them. If you want to do them a favor, don't click on the pay-per-click part, but go scroll down to the organic listing and then call them and say, hey, I love your site. I see you rank highly. I would love to know who runs your pay-per-click management. I am not in your market. They should have no reason whatsoever not to not to give you a referral. Hopefully, the door knocking guy that I talked about. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Hey, this just in door knocking guy. This is a abundance mentality mindset here. But that's what I would do if I was starting because, like, a lot of the pay per click account managers will um, they'll only allow one in in a market, right? So Omaha is pretty small nationally. You know, Uh, we're kind of like a tertiary or secondary market, so they're probably going to only allow one uh, account in this area. But that's what I would do if I was starting. I'd figure out who's ranking highest. And that's probably who you want managing your account. Call them. What do you charge per month to set up and run a pay-per-click account? That's what I would do. I love it. So ours is a a lot more grassroots orientated. So um, one thing that we do is I take, I, I tend to all the uh, networks. So if it could be our RIA network or it could be our Omaha real estate meetup group. It could be Mopoa. And there's lots of wholesalers that uh, attend those events. So I, I start developing relationships with those wholesalers. I get their contact information. We probably have a list of over 50 wholesalers now on our list. Unbelievable. Now, we always, we've always we done the out of overseas callers before. They really were not good at that. Uh, so um, we assign that to an agent, pay her an hourly fee. Also, um, so her job is to call through the uh, wholesalers twice a week document onto a spreadsheet and then she does a performa uh, we have an in-house performa that we use and we put all the information in there that we have then uh and then we'd create a dropbox link and put all the photos and stuff in there if one of my now all my agents my team have access to that and then we service about 300 investors nationwide so then uh they can share that off if one of them sell sell that property they have to give her a 10 percent referral fee on top of that for her work so that that's our biggest source. I think you know generally we have anywhere from twenty to forty properties on that list available to sell, and then it's a Google spreadsheet, so all of our investors have access to it. Amazing. But so that's one thing. But the biggest thing we do is just attending uh, local uh, meetup groups and taking over one of the meetup groups in town. We both are are running local meetup groups in town. So uh, between that, we get a lot of resources. Every single property I own has come through um, our local RIA group. One thing I want to mention, so if you're in a city, so like Omaha, for example, we have, it seems like a really, really strong sharing 
community here with uh, with real estate investors. People are very willing to give knowledge, and you know it doesn't. It's not the it's the abundance mindset versus the scarcity mindset. So people are like, yeah, here's who I use. They're awesome. Like try them out, whatever. It's not like you have the secret sauce, and you're like, I'm not going to tell you how I get off market deals. Oh, like, that voice. You know what I mean? Like I think that he must have met this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he just drops the voice. You should wait till he does his female voice. Uh, so, <laughs> but I I just think that um it, oh one one cool thing that we do here in one of our uh, online Facebook groups is we have a spreadsheet that has cash buyers listed, all of them, where they, like basically it's name, where you buy. So what parts of town, what type of property you're looking for? What's your price range? Uh, what, you know, basically all the details you could possibly think of, because here's what happened. People would join the group and I'm an admin on this group. So this was born more of like, necessity of annoyance, annoyance. Re- reducing <laughs> annoyance. Uh, so we form this uh, like spreadsheet and it just says it has all the cash buyers. Cause how many times you've been on a group and people are like, where are my cash buyers at? And then they list like here a vague property and it's like three bed, two bath, killer deal, this and that. Where are my cash buyers? And it's like, just click on this, man. And for you or, guys, if or, you guys are listening, when when Owen says cash buyer, he throws his hand, hands out like he's rapping. He's like, where are my cash buyers at? Yeah, he's like, like waved his hands around. I don't like, have a know, bunch of cash in like my hands, but I would. Yeah. yeah. So I just want to put that visualization in people's heads when they when when they hear that. So I, I'd like to be on that list. <laughs> there you go. Cash buyer just added. And what about you? Do, you? do you have any tips? Yeah, mine is I meet agents like Ted and I get on that list. I love using investor-friendly agents. Am I getting the best deals and uh, like an abundance of deals? Not really, but I like using investor-friendly agents because it fits my goals and my lifestyle. So I want to be living in Guatemala and buying deals in Omaha. And so I want an investor-friendly agent to send me deals. Now, um, I was listening to your presentation last night at the Investor uh, Group, uh, Investor Omaha, um, which is a great group run by Sonia, which we had on a podcast. And the second that she had you uh, locked down, she calls, she's like, Ted, you got to get this girl on the podcast. She's amazing. <laughs> Thanks, Sonia. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so tell us a little bit about your system with that, because you do have an agent that you found in town that helped you get some properties. And we heavily push uh, everybody to do a shout out for anybody that they're working with in their life or whatever or not. So if you want to shout out the agents you're working with, feel free. But can you tell us a little bit about that story and how you found your local agent? And And one thing that Really, when you were on that OG BP podcast that I absolutely love, can you give it your little bit of your secret sauce with working with and how you work with investor real estate agents? Because it can be reversed for the agents listening to this the opposite way. You can say, hey, this is the, provide me the answers to these questions. Yeah, absolutely. So I like working with investor-friendly agents because they're finding me off-market deals, but they're also my eyes and ears to the community. So I don't know Omaha. Like, yes, I own two properties here now. And like, you know, I told you my parents are from a small town 45 minutes away. But when we came into town, I mean, I went to aunt and uncle's house. I didn't drive Omaha learning about the market. And so when I'm investing somewhere, I don't know it. And so I know that there's a lot of listeners out there who live in expensive markets like California or Denver, or Austin, and frankly, you can't cash flow there. And so I'm teaching both agents and investors to invest in markets like Omaha and Kansas City. And the investor-friendly agent is my eyes and ears on the ground. So they're finding off-market deals. They're sending it to me. Hopefully I'm their favorite client. They send it to me first. 
and then they're sending it out. How do you make sure that they that you are the favorite client though? Yeah, so I would I would love to have one of them on here to make sure I'm not completely <laughs> full of Fact it. Fact check. Yeah. But I think one thing I do is I have crystal clear criteria. So if I say I'm looking for a duplex, right now I'm looking for a duplex, triplex, or fourplex in Des Moines and Omaha, and I need it to hit 14% cash on cash as a long term. But I'd love to use the medium term rental strategy. And if I'm doing that, I want it to be at least 17% cash on cash, if not 27% cash on cash. And long term is going to be your traditional rental. Medium term is going to be like your traveling nurses or something. Like Absolutely. Right? They're furnished, but they're not on, they're not your traditional Airbnb, VRBO. I'm liking the traveling nurses who stay three, four, five, or even six months. It's less turnover, less headache, and less wear and tear on the unit. And so the, my agents know that that's my deal, my criteria. So when they send me a deal like that, I write an offer. Do I feel completely ready to, like for the investors out there, do I feel like completely certain and ready that I should write the offer? Not always, but I told the agent that this is what I wanted. They provided it. And so it's my duty as an investor to write an offer on that property. Mm. I make sure that not only I write the offer, but it's a good offer. I'm not telling them, oh, actually, can you, it's listed for 300. Can we offer you know, 199, that's a waste of my agent's time. So I don't waste my agent's time. And then I make sure that I have funding. And so either I'm pre-approved or my equity partner's pre-approved. And then should I terminate or decide not to go with the deal, I've built a database of other investors. And so I turn around and I say, hey, Ted, I'm not going to buy this, but I sent it out to my coaching group. And they're so thankful that I'm sending them off-market deals that three of them actually would like to write an offer. So it's really easy for me to be at the top of an agent's list because he knows if Sarah doesn't buy it, I bet one of her people will. I only have one client doing that right now, and it's a family group, though. And so it's the brother, the son, and the dad are, are buyers. So I, I have one that I've probably sold 13 investment properties to in the last two years. And then he referred me his brother, and I've sold him about four or five. But I just sold a property in Little Bohemia last week. <laughs> it was an Airbnb duplex, and, uh, and it was off-market deal. Sold it to uh, Jackson, and Jackson's like, you know what? I want my brother to have this one. So all of a sudden, Ty, is have, Ty now has this one. Or maybe his the, the dad will have it. So they kind of all, like, I, I send a lead, and they all three look at it in their own ways. Now, Ty's like, oh, yeah, I do Airbnbs, but Jackson doesn't do Airbnbs. He's like, this doesn't make sense for my model. It makes sense for this other model. So now, besides the fact that I just love working with these guys, now I now I know that I can I have three opportunities in one op, in one sentence. So yeah. whereas with me, you would have 30 to 40. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're going to pass that along if it doesn't if you're if you're like, eh, doesn't fit mm-hmm. exactly what I want. You can pass that along to your network. And then they they that's a funnel. Right. So you're the bottom of the funnel in that case. And it's going to like scatter out to a whole bunch of other people. So would you mind? Uh, so, th- OK, this is going to be a little like different for people that aren't in the Omaha market. But I want to I'll tie this into what you could look for in other markets outside of Omaha because cities are laid out generally fairly similarly unless they're like New York which is like crazy you know bound by water boundaries and all that but like in the generally when you have a city layout you've got a downtown that develops first that's the oldest part of town then you have midtown areas that are generally like mid-century and then you have the suburbs that kind of develop out from there so 
in Omaha, what's your criteria? Like, what do you, if you're going to send something, and I do something similar, actually, I, I have, I got tired of people, wholesalers calling me over the years and being like, oh, what's your buying, what's your buy box or your criteria or whatever. You can do the voice, do the voice. What's your, what's, your, what's your bank criteria? What's your bad boss? That's that doesn't. I I don't feel like that. I sound like that, but whatever. Um. So, what's your? They I get asked that question constantly. So I got I finally got tired of it. And I was like, all right, I'm just gonna write an email and like here's my buying criteria. Here's the zip codes that I'm looking at. Here's the you know cash on cash return. Here's the upside I need. Here's the equity I'm looking for. Here's the ARV minus whatever. You know, just all the criteria. Yep. And. What is that for you? What what does that look like? Uh, let's say in Omaha, and how does that differ in Omaha versus, say, Kansas City or what other markets are you invested? Yeah, in? I'm in Kansas City, Des Moines, and Omaha. Okay, so right around here. Yep. Yeah, I call it the Golden Triangle. Nice. Nobody else calls it that. I just like it. <laughs> <laughs> and why is it golden? Um, because I own there, <laughs> um, and I like I like it. I like that it's three hour drive, um, and then it's nice for me personally is I have family scattered in between, and so now anytime I visit family, it's a tax write off, mm-hmm. and so that was I think you had asked like how I ended up in Omaha. It was it started out with really researching markets that had like fit all my criteria, you know, job growth, population growth, uh, all of these things, metrics that I use. Um, but then it became personal and it was like, okay, where would I like to own? And one thing I'm hearing more and more from investors is, oh, it's so cool that you do Airbnbs. I want to own an Airbnb in a market that I want to visit. And I said, really? Because I just care about cash flow. Because not yeah. not to say that that's a bad idea. I'm not like papooing on anyone that goes and buys an Airbnb in Sedona invite me. Um, but <laughs> but I think what I'd like to do is I want to buy in markets where my cash flow is so big that then I have this, like, let's say, okay, I rent out a unit here in Benson in Omaha, and it's a one-bedroom, one-bath. And I on Airbnb, I make t- about $2,000. let us let us round down. Let's say I make 2000 Well, now I have a $2,000 accommodation budget. I can go travel anywhere in the world. For me, that's a little more attractive than having one Airbnb in Sedona and constantly feeling like I'm only going to go back to Sedona. And so I challenge investors yeah, out there. Yeah, I, I like that. I challenge investors, especially I'm always hearing this from new investors. They're like, I really want to buy an Airbnb that I want to go to. But what's funny is here in Omaha, like I've stayed in my units a couple of times. And every time I stay there, I think, hmm, I could be renting this out for $100 a night. But yet I'm staying here. So I'm always thinking of like lost oh, yeah, income. Yeah, yeah. And also, I know that like a hundred dollars a night in Mexico like gets me like a really cool place. So I don't know if it's to <laughs> Omaha, but I'm probably going to go to Mexico. And so I challenge people out there to like think about like the dollar rather than like what sounds really exciting at the beginning. So it almost sounds like you're viewing it as the cash flow that you're getting from an area that you don't necessarily like. Let's say you didn't have family here, but you you make great cash flow. So let's say you buy in that area, like in Omaha or Des Moines or whatever, you're viewing that more as like a key to go into a place that you really want to go to, like a Sedona or California or Guatemala or or New Zealand or whatever. So it allows you access to those places. And it's not necessarily the destination that you want to go to, but it's the key to that destination. Absolutely. And the ease of buying there. So like for, I just bought two properties in Des Moines. They were off market, found by my investor friendly agent. Who is and, that? You want to give him a shout out? Yeah, in Des Moines, it's Chase Keller. No relation to Keller Williams, but Chase and Liz—they're a husband and wife team. They're 
unbelievable. And they send me great deals all the time. And I was able to get sent the offer or get sent the deal, analyzed it, fit my buy box. I wrote an offer. And then it was so funny. I was in Guatemala at the time. And I had to email him the next day like, hey, any word on my offer? And he just wrote back, yeah, you got it. Nice. And so I was like, okay, I mean, I know I'm an investor, but I still want to be treated like a residential client. Can I get like a phone call and like a Right. Woo! Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're like top us for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and so the ease of buying there. Whereas if I know someone who's writing offers in the Smoky Mountains and she's written 32 offers and she's getting beaten out. So sometimes for me also, it's the ease of getting my offers accepted. Like Ted's going to start sending me amazing off market deals. And I just have to After I pass on them. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And I, <laughs> I'm just kidding. He never sends me anything. But I think that's – it's funny that you bring that up because I think also investors, like, um, for a lack of better phrase, I think they get their panties in a twist because they're like, oh, well, the agent's taking the best deal. I'm like, yeah, as they should. Right. Like, yeah, they went through the work of getting the license yeah, and getting access I, to all these. Oh, I'm right. sorry that Ted's sending you his second-tier deals that are – 12% cash on cash. Like, yeah. cry me a river, Well, just so you guys know, personally, I usually only do one deal at a time, and then and that's kind of the mentality I have. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but locally, though, you work with an agent, though, too. Yes, here in Omaha, I yeah. work with Chris Benson. Yep. Shout out Chris Benson. We both know Chris Great Benson dude. really well. Yeah. I, I was living in New Zealand uh, in a van, not down by the down river. Down by the river. But yeah. by a beautiful waterfall. And um, Chris Benson was sending me properties in Benson. And I was like, <laughs> that's a little, that's was, a little on the nose, isn't I was it? Like, yeah. I, I think his family is like really entrenched in Omaha. <laughs> He's like, actually, did you know Benson was named after me? No, just kidding. Benson, the part of time. I can see Chris. That, I can see Chris. That joke was funnier there. in my head. <clears throat> yeah. But that's one of my favorite deals. I, I own a fourplex here in Omaha. I got a tour of it today. Yeah. It's it, super nice. What, what'd you really think? I liked it. I, uh, the area in between, I think you need to do concrete. I want to do gravel. <laughs> but super cute, um, right off the strip. So you come off that main Benson strip, and then uh, you, you literally, you know, there's that light you sit in. There's like a BP gas station right there. You go right. It's on the right side. She's got, what, you got eight units right there? Mm -hmm. Don't you love it when people are like, you go right, and you're like, am I facing west or east or south or north? It's a one-way. Like, <laughs> one-way turn. How would we know east or west here? It, the sun's never out. It's just oh, gray it's, and gloomy here, you guys. It's a bad stretch. We're in a bad stretch. This is right a now. really not normal year. Like I opened my pool Super up weird. April first of last year. My pool is still covered right now. Yeah, I sorry. First I world problems. I really I like Omaha and I love Nebraskans, but I really don't like your weather. <laughs> no, it's been rough, and this is the windiest year I've ever seen in my life. All right, so you have uh, what? Talk talk to us about your your portfolio. So you got started. You started as an agent in the Keller Williams office in Austin, and started working with investors and and uh, other agents. Networked out. Like what what led to your first property purchase, and where was it? Yeah, what's wild is that my story. It, it on the on the BP podcast. Like it sounds so fast, right? She went from three units to fifteen units in ninety days. Okay, that part was fast. But getting there, like getting to three units was slow because I became an agent in 2015. I didn't buy anything until 2017. I didn't buy my second deal until 2019. And then in 2021, I had a really successful Stepped on year. the gas a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Sarah, if it makes me feel better, I bought my first property in 2009. I bought my next property two years ago. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and and two of my rehabs took a year. So In 2009, I was running with the Bulls. I know. It was a whole <laughs> new world. <laughs> and you were how old then? 19? 19. And I was 29. Uh, I was something. 29 <laughs> or. Um, anyway, uh, so so you got. What, what, okay, where did and you Denless live? was way younger than all of us. Yeah, he was, wasn't even born yet. <laughs> Just a Denless, what year were you born, buddy? 91. 91? Yeah. Okay. I was a junior, in, no, sophomore in high school. Yeah. Nice. Back in the I day. was 11. Uh, Sarah? I, I went on a, well, no, I'm ignoring that question, but I, I went on a date. <laughs> I, I went on a date with someone, and I knew he born, was. Born in 91? I knew he was younger, but I didn't ask, and he didn't ask. And then eventually I was like, he was talking about something, and I'm like, Holy cow, I think he's like way younger than I. I thought he was 27. I was 32. And uh, he's telling the story. And finally, I interrupt him. I go, how old are you? And he says, I'm 22. And I went, were you born in 2000? And he goes, no, 99. Uh, You're like, okay, pass the test. No, I was like, okay, check, please. (laughs) I got to go. They they, they call that, you know, know, what's the word? Um. Uh, I'll Tinder kick, swindler. I'll, I'll kick. I'll kick in your coverage. You know when you you, you get a younger one. I always tell my wife that because my wife's like seven years younger than me, and I'm like, I'm like, babe, I just ca- I'll kick my coverage. Yeah, you I'm definitely. Sure, I'm sure did. she loves that. <laughs> All right. uh, wow. Okay. So back to my portfolio. Back, back, back to, to your portfolio. portfolio. This is this podcast, yeah. Sarah. We we try to warn you. We apologize we, ahead of time. You know what you're. We getting like into. to find out deep things about you, and then the conversation just goes off on these tangents. Yeah, and and, and people like it. I like it. <laughs> All right, so. Um, your first one was in in Prairie Village, Kansas. Such a pretty name! Wow, it's so cute. Okay, single family. Yep, it's a single family. It's a little 1942 Cape Cod, and I love Cape Cods. And That's I, my favorite type of architecture. Seriously, it's yes. so it's tremendous. Mine, mine doesn't have the the dormers on the top, but it's quite nice. And so, how I found this was, I was believe it or not, sorry door knocker guy. I was door knocking. So, Were you really? I, Take that. I really was. So I, I had my education from Keller Williams. Um, I, I took all of their courses, Ignite and Bold and all of these things. And I door knocked. I even door knocked when I was in Austin as an agent and had success from it. And so as an investor, I um, wanted to invest in Kansas City because I knew that the market was great. The numbers matched my criteria. And I liked that my dad was there. So for other people looking to out-of-state invest, let me tell you, I originally liked that my family was there, and I love my family, but they're not that helpful. I recently needed my dad to run to the property. He texted back, yeah, no problem. I'll be there tomorrow at 11. He just never showed up. (laughs) And he said, oh, sorry, free help ain't good. (laughs) (laughs) Do you still maintain your real estate license? Um, No, I don't right now. And and so I bought in Kansas City, and I just happened to be in town that weekend for a wedding. And so while my friends were all pre-gaming, I was driving the streets, knocking on doors, trying to buy my first investment property. And I kid you not, I drove the next street. I think I'd been doing it for about three hours. And I drove this street, and I saw a for sale by owner sign in the yard. Were you like, oh. It was literally, it was. I'm sure I made that noise knowing me. I was like, here I am. So I call, so I, of course, I don't call the number. I knock on the door. They didn't answer. So I'm standing in their driveway calling the number on the sign. They don't answer. It was their home number. I didn't even know people had home phones anymore. So I left a, a voicemail on their, like, the, what's, what's it called? Beep. 
Yeah, not a voicemail. <laughs> answering machine? Answering machine. Nice. And so Owen left. had lots of those. <laughs> oh, I did. So I had one of those. And then I, the neighbor, I'll never forget this. The neighbor was playing in the yard. I found out later it was like the grandma was playing in the yard with her grandchildren. And I walked across the street and I said, hey, do you know anything about this house? And she says, oh, hold on. I'll go get my daughter. So her daughter comes out. And I said, hey, do you know anything? And she said, oh, yeah, it's it's like a, a middle-aged couple. They're looking to sell. She's like, I think that they said that they want to sell it for two fifteen. And I said, I'm sorry, did you say two fifty or two fifteen? And she said, no, two fifteen. And I just was like, at cool, at cool. Because this house should have been listed for two forty five, maybe two fifty. Even if the inside was like all shag carpet and orange walls, it Still would have sold for two fifty, and so I was like, I found it, and so sure enough, they couple happened to be they were in their basement packing boxes. They were like ready to move. That's why they missed my call. So they called me back within the hour. I turned around. I drove back. They were like, Can you come tomorrow? It's missed the wedding. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Fr- friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, friends' wet friends' wedding that I flew in for. Oh, whatever. Um, I was like, uh, I was determined. Remember, I, I told you I identified myself as an investor way earlier. And sure enough, got a tour of the house. And there's two things I saw in the house. I saw a half bath that backed up to a closet. So I was like, easy. That closet is now the shower. That's a full bath. And then there was an unfinished attic. And I thought, that's the fourth bedroom. And I knew that because I knew this neighborhood so well. Like I had been walking the neighborhood on Google Earth. I had been looking at every sold in the last 90 days. So I'd seen other people convert Cape Cods into four bedrooms. So, th- so I knew I wanted to do that. I, I want to ask you about this, um, if if you don't mind. So the the Cape Cod style is basically a story and a half or uh, kind of a two-story setup. Usually there's dormers, but maybe not always. Dormer is basically an attic space that has a bump out. Uh, there's a window and there could be like, it could be a bathroom. It could be a, a bedroom up there. And I have a few like this, and I, I love those. I love finishing that attic space uh, and making – I mean, it's such an easy – like, here's a ton of square footage up there, and it's it's fairly easy to frame around. And, and cheap. Yeah, and, and not all that expensive. So you hadn't been through that type of construction before. Were you like, oh, my God, I have no idea what this is going to cost? Like, what was your thought process? So you're like, I think this is a deal. I know it is, but you did you have any idea about construction costs? No, no, not at all. I knew, I knew that I could, I think that's one thing about my personality. Like, just like I told you guys, I I went abroad when I was 19. Yeah. I like, I didn't realize until I was on my flight from Kansas City to Chicago, then Chicago to Dublin. I didn't realize until I was boarding the flight to Dublin that I was like, oh, I've never done this before. But you you mentioned your dad did construction. So did you have any take from that exactly i didn't realize until we were in it that i had so much of that knowledge just Mm -hmm. through osmosis if you ask the general public is a house built from bottom to top or top to bottom they will look at you like i don't know top to bottom and you're like oh (laughs) so like the general public doesn't know about building houses yeah and so i always like to say that everyone in in investing is like dealt um, a hand of cards and not all of us have the same cards, but one of my cards was a, at least a basic knowledge of construction. I love that analogy. That was great. Yeah. yeah. I, I love the hand the 
hand of cards. I know, is that I'm, what you I'm said? confused. Which one? <laughs> I don't know. This is the old fashioned talking. Yeah, to me. it, it probably know. is. Yeah, hand of cards. No, I love that. You're right. And so I, I've talked about this. Uh, a ton of times uh, about having an unfair advantage. Yes. So everyone has that, whether whether or not they, it comes to the front of their you know mind when they're talking to people. But everyone has it, whether it's you know somebody that has a lot of money but no time, and they trust you and whatever, or maybe you're a really good deal finder and people think that's unfair, or maybe you have an in, uh, or you have a, a father that has construction knowledge or whatever it is. Everybody's got something. Or you're really good at math. Yeah. Like I would love a partner. This is a shot. I would love a partner who's great at analyzing deals. Well, introducing my business partner, Jerry. Yeah, I want someone that because don't get me wrong, I I can learn anything. But I do I love spreadsheets? Do I love like living in the math? No, but maybe that's what you're really good at, but you don't know anything about how to even change an outlet. Yeah. Whereas like now I've done all of those things. Like I you can YouTube anything nowadays. And so with a little bit of gumption, you can kind of do anything. Um however, if you have a ton of money, then it's even more fun. Like that's a way but in my opinion, that's a way better card to be dealt is like an unlimited budget because who cares if you know nothing about houses, you can hire people. Yeah. The who, not how thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. I love that too. But no, I love, I love that analogy though. You're right. Because everybody gets the same amount of cards. Like, it, you know, this is a stretch, but like whatever you pull up in your hand, like you may have crappy cards overall, but you have one that's really good or two that are really good and you can hang on to those and you can say, okay, I'm going to learn or find somebody else that knows the rest of these and I'm going to get dealt in the rest of my good hand that I'm going to have and and utilize it. And I don't think that's something that a lot of newer investors recognize. And so I think that's a big stumbling block. But you have something. So I think it's taking stock of what you actually have in your repertoire. That's the first time I've ever used that word in this, in this show. Um, but whatever's in your repertoire of – uh, available cards like you can do something with that and you can combine it with other cards and there may be a trump card out there see how i pulled that out oh, that's good that's nice yeah uh no that's super cool so um you look like you want to ask her something well i really want to dig into this airbnb side of it of your yes. business um i've i personally have transitioned um since january i'm transitioning all my properties into airbnb mm-hmm. how much first question is how how out of your, you said 19 units. Mm-hmm. How many of those are Airbnbs? Eight. Eight. And is there a point where all those will be Airbnbs or not? No. They won't. And why? So owning Airbnb. And I say that because you're known as the Airbnb guru at this point between all the podcasts and everything you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I like the mix of units for a couple of reasons. One is the particular properties that I own. I didn't buy them thinking that they were going to be short-term rentals or medium-term rentals. So frankly, they're best as a long-term rental. Mm -hmm. The other is that it's not passive investing to own a short-term rental. And so I often, people love to ask me, okay, if I had $100,000, where should I invest? Well, the first question is, what are your goals? And then do you want another job? So a lot of people, their goal is, I want cash flow so I can quit my job, or I want to build wealth through real estate. And then I say, are you trying to spend more or less time with your family? And nine times out of 10, they say, I want to spend more time with my family. I said, then I would buy a traditional long-term buy and hold investment. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh. And you know, they're disappointed. deflated. Yeah, because it's so much sexier. Like, yeah, I would love to buy a $1.3 million Airbnb in Phoenix that we like to go hang out by the pool at 
and it ca- just so happens to cash flow $2,000 a month. And it yeah. just so happens to cash flow a ton. But the reality is that setting it up takes at least 40 hours. And then to manage it, I self-manage my Airbnbs. And that takes at least two to four hours a week. And so are you looking for another job? Can you can we dig a little bit more into your self-management? Do, what systems are you using to be able to manage eight Airbnbs? Yeah. Um, I use a pro- local property manager to handle all my stuff. Who I maybe will be hiring soon. And and I pay them a percentage. They have the cleaning crews. They have eight maintenance guys. You know, they have everything I want. So I'm completely hands-off on, on all of it. They're on the three or four websites. So I couldn't imagine. I mean, I have a lot on my, on my plate. So I couldn't imagine traveling and trying to handle this uh, on my own. So please tell me what systems and what your your magic is. Yeah. So it's a lot of upfront. So up front, I create what I call the vendor list. Mm -hmm. And that has not just one plumber, but five plumbers. Okay. So I've been stalking every podcast you've listened, uh, that you've been on. I listened to your event last night just to be prepared for this because I've been so intrigued since I first heard you. uh, And and you know that because I reached out to you immediately. So please tell me, um, one thing I loved, and it went right in my notebook, tell me about how you build your vendor list. Yep. It starts with the investor-friendly agent. And he or she is the person who is my eyes on the ground and I tap into their Rolodex. And I'm really transparent with them from the beginning. I say, hey, I'm an out-of-state investor. I want to work with you if you have property manager, CPA, photographer, cleaner, this, that, this, and you're willing to share it with me. Is that you? And they're like, yes. And so they're giving me a lot of the things. And so... Chris, for example, Chris Benson, mm-hmm. he gave me this handyman, Gary. Gary is now Gary is now dead to me because oh, no. Gary's like one of the worst handymen I've ever had. Gary. So then I had to go to Bigger Pockets <laughs> and Facebook and and now I network with other investors to continue to grow that vendor list. Mm-hmm. And so um it starts with the investor agent, but then you as the investor, you have to continue to grow that. And so I grow it by networking with other investors, abundance mindset investors who are willing to share their contacts. There was a there was a point that you made in something I listened to, and you said that you actually go find the local meetups in each city. You search the actual topic. Oh uh, yes, so I'll go inside those Facebook groups. So, for example, I'll go into I'll type in on Facebook real estate investing in Omaha. I'll find all the groups. I'll join all of them, and then before posting, hi, I'm looking for a plumber, I actually take the extra second that it takes and I click the search button and I write in plumber and then I do it again and I write in plumbing. Then I do it again and I write in like pipe and I will look at all of the posts that have been there and then I literally will just copy and paste into a Google sheet every comment that they've made even before I need a plumber. I love that because... I was doing some of that unknowingly that that was a golden nugget. Like, I mean, that, I mean, okay. So my mind was blown when you said that. Cause like so, certain times I'd like, okay, I need an electrician. And I typed that in there, but I never thought that that was like something that was knowledgeable that it just was second nature to me. And by you stating it on, on whatever publication that was, maybe the rookie podcast or something, you, you mentioned that on, I was completely blown away. Cause I'm like, I'm like, okay, so I can, I need to be doing this because 
Um, sometimes there's subcontractors that I need right now. I am like my electrician is like, I'm doing a property. He's like, yep, uh, I'm moving to Texas next week. I'm kind of, my wife retired as a military. I'm moving to Texas and I'm going to be gone. And he's supposed to rewire my property. And he's like, yep, I'll put your electrical box in and I'll be done this week. So I need the whole house rewired. But guess what? Every electrician I'm talking to is not available. Uh And you mentioned that. I'm like, I'm like, duh. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what happens is and so many and, and you're documenting it. I'm documenting and you, it. And guess what you can do? You can put a you can put a referral name on on the side of it because they posted it on that group page. And I'm doing this from Portugal or Bali or Mexico. You just pulled no one, you know that? You just did the gangster kind of like hand <laughs> sign. <laughs> yes, she did. Hey, okay, I want to I want to ask you this. So, um God, I'm so jealous of you. Like, by the way, like I would have loved to do that in my twenties. I look back at my twenties now, and it was a, kind of a blur. But had a great time. But man, I could have been having it elsewhere and other countries and whatnot. But what um, what problems have you encountered by trusting people off of Facebook or mm-hmm. you know referrals from people? You mentioned Gary, the loser uh, handyman. We hate you, Gary. Um, scary Gary yeah. is what we nicknamed him. What, what, uh, so what, what have you run into that hasn't gone as well as you thought? Yeah. So I'll tell the Gary story. Yeah. He, I had a ceiling fan that was shorting. Can we just call him scary Gary every time? All right. Scary Gary. Okay. Um, there was a ceiling fan that was shorting in one of my traveling nurse units. So medium term units here in Omaha. And I asked the tenant, um, like, do I need to get it fixed right away? And he said, you know, don't worry about it. Just do it when we leave. And I said, okay, fine with me. You know, one less thing for me to worry about. That was a mistake. Um, when I sent Gary in the day that that tenant moved out, um, he said, oh, yeah, the circuit shorting. I don't know what his text said, but he said it needs to be replaced. I'm doing a thousand other things. And so I said, great, please replace it. I looked back at the text. That's what Did I you said. drop a Durka Durka on him? <laughs> And so uh, sometimes I drop a Durka Durka every once in a while. Like, I don't know what that is. It's like, it's like saying duh. <laughs> Durka Durka. Okay. Is that, is that from, Trinidadian? It's from a show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, wait. Thanks for pulling that obscure quote out to derail this, Ted. But so I said Durka Durka. Yes. Please replace it. Durka Durka. <laughs> and and I, I made the assumption. So ass out of you and me. me. Yeah. So I made the assumption that he would do it. I said, yes, please replace it. Tenant moves in the next day, a traveling nurse paying $1,775 for a one bedroom, one bath in Benson. Dang. And he moves in and there's a ceiling fan on the kitchen floor. Oh, great. And then live wires in the ceiling of the bedroom. So I call every electrician and handyman on my vendor list and more or less, they all said, go pound sand. It's Friday at yeah. 11 a.m. And that's a tiny job. You right. know, like what What can they charge me? 200 maybe $400 tops, which is. For something that should be like 50 or 25 bucks. Totally. Thank you. But that's what they're going to charge me because they're going to send someone out. Sure. But all of these people that are on my vendor list, I found out, are doing huge now renovation projects. You know, they're, they're rewiring Ted's house. Thanks, Ted. Mm-hmm. And so I can't find someone to like fix this. And so listen to this. I own one of my properties here in Benson. I own with an equity partner. 
And I texted her, I'm panicking. What do I do? I'm in Des Moines at this point. So for a second, I I was like, should I drive the three hours and do it myself? That actually went through my head. (laughs) And I said, no, that is absolutely not in line with my goals or my lifestyle that I'm trying to live. And so I kid you not, my partner, Mary, went to Home Depot and she was like, what ceiling fan should I buy? And I was like, I'm sorry, do you think that you can install a ceiling fan? And she was like, I can figure it out. I'm like, honey, she's, by the way, she's five foot two and strong. She goes to the gym, but she's five foot two. And she probably doesn't even have a stepladder in her car. Um, and so I said, why don't you just buy a flush light? I call it the boob light. Buy the boob light. I'm not proud, but put, put, boob put, yeah, so put that in there. I said, you, I know that you're like smart enough and strong enough to figure that out. And so sure enough, she drives over and she puts that in. And so does out of state investing like bite me in the ass sometimes? Yes, it does. And I I got this question last night. Someone was like, how do you ensure that you have a good contractor? And I said, you don't. Like there is a downfall to out of state investing. We ensure it with with your contacts, mm-hmm. I but mean, you're, but you're, you're the people you trust. But every once in a while, you're gonna get a Gary on your vendor list. So, on that on the topic of contractors, so this is interesting because like I I've been doing this since 2005, and I've been through which has been a long time. Shut up, Ted. I've been through. I, I wasn't in high school then, but. <sighs> oh wait, I was. I'm out. I'm I'm leaving. <laughs> then let's take over. No. Uh, so long time, right? And I've worked with, uh, so here's what I've experienced over the years. So I've had in general, a person that has worked for me pretty much full time that I've moved around from project to project to project. And most of the time they're generally a handyman, but can also do like kind of bigger projects, right? So they can do like drywall or paint or whatever, even though they may not want to do that all the time. They can, they can do it, but they can change locks, re, re, you know, put a door in, windows in, what, whatever stuff I need, brake fix stuff, right? Like a, a light fixture that needs changed out, right? I've gone through several of them over the years. And what I've noticed, though, and, and I've also gone through crews where I've been like, oh, my God, these guys are awesome. They killed it on this last project. It looks great. I got way more than I thought I would or whatever. And then for whatever reason, you go through like two, three, maybe four projects, and then they're like, they're not as responsive or they get complacent or they're like, oh, we know Owen will pay or, you know, whatever. Right. Does this sound familiar? Like I'm experiencing this right now. Yeah. Yeah. So so they're like, they don't pay as much attention to you if they know you're going to be a reliable payer, because if I'm a contractor, I want to know that. Are you who you say you are? Like, am I going to have steady work? Because if you're telling me like, hey, I have a whole bunch of projects. I'm a big time real estate investor. And and they've heard that before. Right. So they go out on these jobs and they're like, oh, great. Yeah, I did. a, You know, I installed a ceiling fan for you. And like I'm without work for two weeks. So I thought we were going to work together because so they, so they expect things out of you as well. So if you say, hey. You're not going to want for work. Stick with me. I'm going to keep you busy. And I've done this multiple times. And generally, you can kind of move them around, right? But then after a while, not not everybody's like this, but some are. They're like they start so they stop, you know, paying attention to your stuff, or you go over there and they're sloppy, and you're like, uh, I thought we were done. And I see all these like punch list things. Yep. So I have this saying: it's like when you're 90 percent done with a project. You're actually uh, what, what's the say? Ninety percent done. You're fifty percent done because yeah. the the ten percent punch list takes forever. Forever. And it's they and they've already been paid generally. Or this is a mistake I've made before. You're like, oh yeah, it looks good, and then uh, like 
you give them a check and then they're like, all right, we're out of here. We're on a next job. And then like there's, you know, the, there wasn't plumbing wasn't done right. Or the, the, you know, there's touch-ups that need to be done or whatever. Anyway, like what's your experience with that? Have you been through, you know, reps where you're like contractor a was not Gary was not what I was hoping for. Absolutely. So in, in Des Moines, I did an, a uh, long distance burr. So for those of you that not, like I did a buy, renovate, rent, refinance so that I could use hard money, private money, and then refinance out of the deal with the goal of leaving little to no money in the deal. And I was able to do this. But in doing so, I had to hire Mike. In my phone, I put him as boyfriend Mike because we bickered a lot. And I thought that was funny. And so anytime he texted or ignored my calls, I was like, oh, boyfriend Mike. So Mike would send me photos and videos and I trusted him. And so he would send me photos and videos and it did it. It looked amazing. And the price that he was charging me was unbelievably low. Was this a Megan Ahern story? Let's find out. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, right. was, I was getting these photos and videos and it looked great. But one thing you can't get from a video is did he install the dishwasher correctly? So fast forward, I have the tenants move in and the dishwasher isn't working. And so ends up he does like a amateur mistake. He like didn't put a tube in correctly. Well, that cost me $170 to fix. And I realized that I should have, in hindsight, I should have had what I call a runner. And I should have had a runner go out to the property and and literally run the faucet, run the dishwasher, run everything. But at the time, I'll admit, I was so frugal that I was like, oh, if I have someone oversee the project, it's either going to cost me 10% of the entire project. That's what like a normal GC would charge me just to oversee the project, even though I already have boyfriend Mike doing everything. <laughs> um, so that would cost me that. Or I'd maybe they'll charge me hourly, I don't know, $50 an hour. Well, stupid me, I should have paid for a runner before I paid Mike. So had someone actually go and oversee the project. So for anyone thinking about out-of-state investing, that is my number one advice. I, You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I literally just paid a $250 plumbing bill today for that exact situation where plumbing was not done correctly. They like the sink was leaking. They didn't put the baskets in properly on the, you know, on, on the double-sided sink. Which is something like for listeners out there, like that's as simple, like I'm capable of doing that. Correctly. Yeah. And, th and they didn't, they didn't do the knockout right between the, uh, the dishwasher and the sink. That was what like it was, that, the that happens a lot. Yeah. And, and so I, so I'm glad you brought this, I brought this up. We, we brought this up. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we're, we're talking. Going, I'm glad we're talking about this. Yeah, because um, like I've had this happen so many times. The punch list is the most irritating portion of an entire project. So you go through and you have, like I used to be the guy that had the blue tape roll. So I'd go through and I'd be like blue tape, blue tape, blue tape. But I'd be I try to keep it light. You know, I don't want to be in like you know you're in the principal's office. <laughs> I blue tape like like you know I believe I blue tape everything. You, saw, yeah, you know what I'm saying? You saw hanging from the fan. Brother. Yeah. So okay, for those that don't know what we're talking about, like when you get to the end of a construction project, your contractor has generally been there a while. They want to get out of there. Their money has already been either spent or allocated or whatever, and they just want to like bail and they want to move on to the next thing. They probably have another project lined up, and you're like, wait a minute, this isn't done. Or you're you're coming in at the eleventh hour and saying, "Hey, 
there's touch up paint that needs to be done here, here, here. Like it's usually a million places with touch up paint. And then you have to run all the faucets. You have to make sure all the stuff is working correctly. Right. And that's the part that contractors hate because Mm -hmm. they don't make any extra money on it. It takes a lot of extra time. And uh, for you, it's but like this is your reputation. It's important that the last 10 percent of a project is your reputation. Especially when we're talking about Airbnbs. Exactly. And like it's magnified when it comes to Airbnbs. And when it comes to Airbnbs, you should be immediately having somebody you know, if not you, staying in that unit for free. Like, hey, go out and party. Have a date night with your whatever and stay in my unit. I will take care of it. Give me a full report. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and now I'm kind of, I mean, I don't want to, but I've stayed in a number of my units. I just stayed in one last night and the Wi-Fi is terrible. And this is the one with my partner that I own. And I said, hey, I can't find the router. And she said, oh, yeah, it's in the next unit. I said, oh, okay, well, duh. Oh. we have to get a, either a repeater or a router in yeah. this unit. Um, but we wouldn't know that if we didn't sleep there. We would just think that the Airbnb guest was being a complainer about the internet. But yeah. the reality is, is, is actually quite bad. Do you have any other um, things that are maybe recurring issues or that you're trying to manage from Guatemala or you know Zimbabwe or wherever you're you're happen you happen to be at in Antarctica? <laughs> yeah, uh, like it, what other stuff like gotchas can you give people advice about that uh, for long distance investing? Uh, I think the the cleaner. The cleaner is your VIP. And so you have to have a magnificent cleaner. Not only do they have to have, like, keep in mind that you want a five-star review for cleaning. Like, that's key for me. Um, also, I'm a daughter of a cleaning lady. Like, my mom cleans houses for a living. So I grew up in a house that was immaculate. And so I have a really high standard. So that, I think, is really important. And then the other issue that I keep having, I, you guys own more units than I do, is I I keep having plumbing issues. Yeah. And so I don't know if it's that I need to actually like do preventative before Airbnb moves in, but that continues to be a problem. I dealt with that recently because I stayed in my, one of my units and and then noticed that there was leaking happening inside the walls here. And so I had to get some things taken care of immediately after the work was already done. So we had to tear up walls again. So I told Do you uh, put in a one-star review? Get out of here. Get out of here. I wanted to say, is he sleeping here? Because Jessica's mad at him. <laughs> <laughs> and just so you know, I did send you uh, two cleaners and my plumber. Thank you. So now you have those uh, people here in town as a backup option. Amazing. So yeah. Hey, can you tell me, really, we, we, I haven't dug, dug a lot into your systems. Can you give us some systems with Airbnb? Yeah, absolutely. So when I'm running my units as Airbnb, because right now I'm running them as medium-term rentals. So they're all traveling nurse units. I find the tenant through a website called furnishfinder.com, mm-hmm. and I'm contacting the nurse. What's nice about Furnish Finder is they allow you to send templated emails. And the templated email that I send, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It says, hi, yes, the unit is available for those dates. So super generic. If you'd like to apply, please email thebensonflats at gmail.com with one, your driver's license, two, proof of employment, three, a phone number and email where I can contact the previous landlord. Thanks, Sarah. For pictures of your animals that are going to be in the place. So I send that to the <laughs> the tenant and then they have to email me cuz one thing I don't like about French Finders is it's not very user friendly. It doesn't have like a good UX design. So then I'm having them communicate with me with email cuz that lets me know that they're serious and they can follow instructions. 
And then nine times out of 10, they send those three items. And then that starts the application process. I'm checking their driver's license with the proof of employment. Do the names match? Do the dates match? Then I am calling and emailing the previous landlord. I really want to get a landlord on the phone. I want to know, are they good? Did they leave the unit nice? Um, And do they have like the amount of pets that they say they do? Because it's weird how many people lie about how many pets they have. What what is your pet policy for Airbnbs? Moving this, this is a this is a, a moving pain point forward. For me. Yes, moving forward. I want a pet peeve. Huh? <laughs> See what I did there. You are so crafty, buddy. I'm full of dad jokes today. I would love no pets. Um, so right now I'm no pets. Yeah, I'm going to be moving to that for Omaha because I just listed a one bedroom, one bath, and I had 19 applicants. So now I have the upper hand. I get to choose someone with no pets. I will say in Des Moines, I just bought four units in the last 30 days. Two of the four units are traveling nurse units. And I had one, maybe three applicants. So I'm a little. Well, you know what the difference is right now, right? Is that everybody's blocking everything off for Berkshire, as my manager told me. And uh, they're blocking everything off for CWS. So my the College World Series. Yep, College World Series. My my manager called me up and he goes, Hey, if you're willing to have nurses right now, he goes, I can get more money for your units. I have a surplus of opportunities right now. He's like, literally, I have over twenty opportunities where I can put nurses in your units for three month terms at somewhere between thirteen and fifteen hundred a unit on on these on my one bed units here on twenty fourth and Vinton in, in this part of town. And so my pet policy moving forward is going to be no pets if I can, if I can. Um, but if you do have the pets, what, is, what, what policies have you had? I do a $200 refundable fee mm-hmm. and a $175 non-refundable only allow dogs. I don't allow cats. Okay. So that's my first question. My next question is how do you handle your locking system? Do you do like, um, do you do digital locks? Yep. Um, Cause you're self-managing. Self-managing. Can, can you do all this via Wi-Fi? I can't because I went ahead and I listened to my frugal, frugal self, and I kept the keyless keypads that the previous seller had. Yep. I just cleared the master key, and then I add up to six different codes. Mm-hmm. So I'll add six different codes. The first tenant gets code number one. Then I clear it. The next tenant gets code number two, so on and so forth. Uh, moving forward, I would pay the extra money for the Wi-Fi code. So right now, I use Nest. And with the Nest, I can do it all from my phone. I can create as many passcodes as I want. It tracks who logs in and where. I know when my cleaning ladies are also showing up because it says cleaning lady at your place on my phone. I pay $120 a year for each uh, each venue. But I also can have unlimited video camera tape so I can do like a ring doorbell. Amazing. I have the Nest uh, so I can track. So uh, I had a property where I had uh, Afghani refugees at. Um, they liked the place a little warmer. So they kept the place at 85 uh, unfortunately, that keeps, uh, besides your bills, that warps your wood floors. Because it's too dry. <laughs> yes. So, um, so you need to, um, you can actually set parameters on your, on your, on your furnace and AC, uh, units. And you can also have a webcam on your doorbell or whatever additional webcams. I have one in my laundry room also. But <clears throat> that way you can track, uh, if there's a party going on in your property. But it's only 120 bucks a year and you get 90 days of footage. Yep, amazing. So just a couple of little things that maybe throw out to you as, as you're traveling the world. I love it. And then also when there's an Airbnb tenant and they can't figure out how to hit the Nest button and put the code in, they hit the doorbell, it rings your phone, and you can say, and you say one minute, and you hit the button and you unlock it and let them in. Amazing. 
So just little tips as you're self-managing. Absolutely. And things that make And I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm completely insane giving you tips, but because I've been listening to your stuff getting tips. Well, no, it's just funny because like sometimes it's uh, – your, your parents. So I like to say like sometimes I think as a – I'm not a parent, so like I a, love getting this advice. But, look, but Owen's like your parents. So you can look at him like, <laughs> like, like, a, like, a, like a father figure. So I love this because sometimes I give advice when I know good and well that I should be taking my own advice. But sometimes I'm still listening to that frugal part of me that was like, oh, it already came with these keypads. I'm not going to spend the money to replace a working keypad. But you're right. Would that make my my management pro- process so much easier? Absolutely. Can I give you some really frugal advice? Yes. I bought every one of my uh, systems on Facebook Marketplace. Amazing. And I have not spent uh, anything under 100 bucks. I love that. Uh, for everything I own. <laughs> 